Maybe I could be like an announcer, like a columnist. I don't believe what I just saw. You know how I always make those interesting comments during the game? Personally, I think we got hosed on that call. Yeah, yeah, you make good comments. So what about that? You know, they tend to give those jobs to ex-ball players and people that are, you know, in broadcast. What about a talk show host? This is In the Booth. Talk show host, that's good. <laughs> I think I'd be good at that. I talk to people all the time. With Matt Park. Welcome again, everybody, In the Booth, as we join you from our luxurious Galaxy Communication Studios here in downtown Syracuse. No show yesterday with National Letter of Intent signing day on the football side. We'll hit on some basketball today with Mike Waters in his regular spot a little bit later in the show today. And then into lacrosse a little tomorrow. The uh, women's and men's lacrosse openers are this weekend. Women on Friday night, men on Saturday afternoon. Syracuse men's and women's basketballs both playing Wake Forest on Sunday afternoon. Men at home for a 1 o'clock start, the women on the road for a 2 o'clock start. So lots going on here in the very near future, as is always the case at this time of the year. You can join us by phone if you'd like at 315-437-7644. 4ESPN44 gets you on the show if you'd like to join us with your questions and comments over the course of the program today. Again, Mike Waters a bit later in the program. We'll hear from Dino Babers on Letter of Intent Signing Day here in just a bit. This is a day where the uh, Philadelphia Eagles and the Philadelphia community have celebrated their world championship going crazy. Millions and millions expected. And uh, that city, I'm sure, can party. Uh, Haven't won many championships of late. The Philadelphia Phillies uh, winning in uh, recent years. But prior to that, it go back to the 1980 Phillies. So this is the first championship since 1960 for the Eagles predating the uh, Super Bowl era and uh, they've got a great city to do it the way it's arranged with their sports complexes etc and uh, a chance for them to uh, jump in and booze it up and have a blast and I'm sure there will be quite a bit of arrests and all kinds of debauchery on the uh, streets of Philly with a little fly Eagles fly there saw a guy yesterday and to me I if I wasn't so cold I would have stopped him to say hey dude what's your deal yesterday was brutal until the snow stopped and it worked out okay. But around noontime, walking up University Ave, up toward campus, toward the new house building, and a dude pops out and he's walking the other way in uh, preppy boy, you know, Brooks Brothers Madras shorts that you'd wear in July and an Eagles hoodie working a heater walking down the street. There's always the guy in winter that wears shorts. It's unbelievable. I mean, I get it when it's, you know, today it's 24 degrees and it's sunny and you might feel like it's warmer than it is. And you want to go out there and strut your stuff in shorts. Be my guest. You're a dope, but be my guest. Is it a badge of courage? I don't know. I think this guy, I was going to stop this guy, but number one, I was like, I'm thinking in my mind, this is me walking up. I got to take a picture of this guy to at least prove that he exists in captivity. And then I thought, well, I'm not taking off my gloves and reaching into my pocket to get my phone out or standing still for long enough to take this guy's picture. Then I thought he was probably a little chemically induced or enhanced to to be in the state that he was in. I'm like, this is not worth uh, my time right now. But uh, I wish I'd had it make for better uh, tweet or uh, radio story today. But no joke. 
And it wasn't just any hooded sweatshirt, but the Eagles. So maybe he was just high on life. Maybe that was the power of sports. Because uh, he would had to have been on a different planet at that moment. But yeah, the guy who uh, is prone to wearing shorts just to be the guy, the one who's doing it, like, hey, I'm a tough guy or, or macho or, hey, it's warm to me. What's your problem? I, I just can't get it. Because like, yesterday was absolutely not, not the day to be doing it when it was 13 and viciously snowing and piling up by the hour and just uh, disgusting. It's not that today. It's back to uh, kind of alternating as we've had this year. Sunny, fairly pleasant, not currently snowing, I don't think. 21. Roads are fine. We'll, we'll take that. Uh, the other example of sports is what is going on at St. John's. So they beat Duke last weekend. Last night they take their winless record to Philadelphia. I guess in this case down the main line to play number one Villanova. Guess what? If you didn't think that the win over fourth-ranked Duke Saturday at Madison Square Garden was not good enough, get a load of this. Here's your headline from Philadelphia as St. John's defeats the number one team in the country, 79-75. Call your friends, Mink. John Minko on uh, New York Radio as uh, St. John's Picks up the win. So St. John's, who hasn't beaten anybody for the year, 0-11 in conference, lost to Georgetown, lost to other you know crappy teams in the Big East. There are some. With wins against Duke at home and Villanova on the road. And that's why they play the games. That's uh, similar to St. John's not just beating but throttling Syracuse last year. Uh, you know, if they played ten times, Syracuse would win eight or nine, but uh, and didn't just lose, but got whooped. It brought to mind a little factoid last night that started going around with uh, some of those that that do the research. ESPN uh, stats and information put out the uh, last number one teams to lose at home to a team with a losing record. Last night, Villanova against St. John's. Prior to that. You may remember Syracuse in February of 2014, unbeaten at number one, losing to Boston College with a losing record. And prior to Syracuse's loss in the Dome in that situation in 2014, it had been since 1955 that top-ranked Kentucky lost to a Georgia Tech team with a losing record. So that is a rare occurrence to be sure. And uh, St. John's and Chris Mullen picking up enough uh, big wins to – maybe keep him off the hot seat or keep him from getting too much of a uh, too much of a movement to to move him out of there because he has not had a lot of success but when he's won it's been against name brand operations Syracuse they, they haven't lost by a lot this year they lose by 5 points to everybody between 4 and 5 points to a lot everybody. of good teams in the big east they they played Xavier Duke and Villanova in a, in a three game stretch yeah. too. that's not an easy they lost by five. Yeah, one of those, obviously, a non-league, so they did that by choice. But uh, tough league, and uh, St. John's now finally with its first win in the Big East. And if you're going to get one, it might as well be Villanova. Not to be confused with Valentine's. And bring your love to an SU game. You can go to ESPN ESPNSyracuse.com. That's ESPNSyracuse.com. Register to win tickets to the Orange Game against NC State. And dinner at Tully's brought to you by UPS and ESPN Syracuse. For all of 
the bozos out there that haven't thought about uh, Valentine's yet. Now is your opportunity to do that. So uh, take advantage. Your friends here at ESPN Radio Syracuse helping you out. We've got uh, Coach Dino Babers coming up. We'll hit uh, football signing day. A little bit anticlimactic with just the three signees yesterday. But we'll touch base on those. A little bit of a restructuring of the coaching staff that we can address when we continue. Dino Babers, when we return, this is In the Booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse. Syracuse in Winston-Salem Sunday to face Wake Forest. Tip at 2, Orange pregame, 145. This is In the Booth with Matt Park. Now we just addressed that. Syracuse uh, playing Winston-Salem in kind of a home and road doubleheader. Men and women at the same time. Men at 1 o'clock in the Dome. Women 2 o'clock down there in Winston-Salem. Brian Higgins will have that call for you. Yesterday we dealt in football signing day, which is a little anticlimactic now. First uh, Wednesday in February had always been signing day. Now it's just the second of two. The bulk of the recruits are accounted for in the early signing period, which is in December. And now you turn your focus to select few. Different staffs might go about it different ways. Some would say these players are less committed or uh, needed more research or needed the spotlight or that type of thing. And let's let it play out a couple more years to just make our determinations on that. But as far as Syracuse is concerned, three more players signed yesterday and only three. Back around Christmas time when the uh, early signing period was, we said they have seven or eight more scholarships at their disposal and a chance to use those down the road. Now, some are being kept in the pocket here uh, with a chance to be flexible or maybe something arises uh, in the summer, be it uh, transfer or JUCO or or that type of thing. But the uh, three players signed yesterday, a couple of running backs, Akeem Dixon from Vero Beach, Florida, who was originally recruited by this same staff when it was at Bowling Green, so they've been on him quite a while, and he wound up having a very good high school career at Vero Beach in a very good senior year. Jarvion Howard from Mississippi, not a a typical Syracuse recruiting ground, but uh, a player that uh, is from the same high school as uh, Walter Payton, so that's got to count for something. And then Caleb Okachuku, who was kind of the swing player in yesterday's group, so it may have only been two players, but Okachuku was supposed to make his determination at 2 o'clock. He had his school canceled in D.C. yesterday because of the weather, and uh, he pulled the trigger early, selecting Syracuse over Texas and Arkansas. Okachuku played his uh, high school ball for Joe Casamento, who uh, built CBA into a power before going down to St. John's College Prep there in D.C. So we caught up with... Dino Babers addressing uh, his third full recruiting class. Matt, thanks a lot. I thought that the assistant coaches did a fabulous job, and you know we were all working very hard. This was our first opportunity with a double signing date, and uh, a lot of the recruiting stuff, especially in December, was on the back end of the football season. But to be able to com- uh, combine those two things and still come out with the type of class we came out with, we're really excited about it. You have been very vocal in your support of the early signing day and its impact for programs like Syracuse and how you think it'll help. So you did the bulk of your work really before Christmas and 
now you can be selective. How did you approach this period and what remarks do you have on the three players signed today? Well, first of all, we, we think the entire class is a very good class. I don't want to make individual uh, remarks on any individual player if I can help that. This has been a team effort, and when they come join the team, we'll see how they're going to do. But we thought that uh, by getting those running backs at the end, getting a defensive lineman that was really needed in the class, I thought that was fantastic. And then just to, to take the last month of January and not only – finish out the 2018 class, the last one-third part of the, of the 2018 class, but to also jumpstart 2019 and 2020 uh, and, and to get out there and shake some hands and meet some coaches. I had, a, had I got an opportunity to go to New Jersey and meet a lot of coaches out in New Jersey. The DNV uh, ran up the eastern coast of uh, Florida, uh, Detroit. I got to, got to meet a lot of coaches on their home turf, so to speak, and to get around, more so than I've been able to get around the first two years. So I was really excited about getting out there and just talking about our program and, and letting them know the things that we're trying to do here in Syracuse, New York, and how some of the young men that they have uh, might be able to help us. If you look at the geographical distribution of this class, are you pleased with what appears to be a mix of Syracuse's traditional recruiting hotbeds, New York, New Jersey, D.C., and then really some areas where you and your staff have laid down roots like uh, Texas and Detroit? You know, we always want to start in the Northeast, and I thought that by getting, if we're going to be strong, we have to be as strong in the Northeast. That's the only way we can be a beast, and we are going to continue to always treat those areas with the uh, as our primary areas, the, the New York, New Jersey, uh, Baltimore, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, uh, Detroit. And, uh, you know, I'm disappointed that we didn't get anybody from Canada this year. I'm, I mean, we've got to get back into Canada. Uh, we got two young men from there in the, in the class before, and we don't want to give that region up either. You know, you talk about it never rests, right? You're right back into it in terms of 2019 and 2020. Since you brought it up, why Canada? Do, do you feel like that's a, an open frontier for Syracuse? I really do, and I think that that's, that's our backyard, so to speak, even in a geographic form. But when you think about it, I mean, most of, most of the major cities that we can get to, they're as close to, those cities are as close to us as Baltimore is to us. And uh, we need to be able to recruit that region. And a lot of schools don't go there. And our name is known there for, uh, for a number of things. And we have to treat it as such. I think it's a good area. I really do. Sure. You look at uh, Toronto and Montreal have been uh, very good for a lot of the other programs uh, here on campus, uh, both less than a, a five-hour drive away. Coach, you identified going into your whole recruiting philosophy, let alone this year, to get bigger and longer. Uh, we see in this class a couple offensive tackles that are 6'7", 320. We see six foot two wide receivers. Do, how do you evaluate the job you did and your staff did in that regard? I think they did a great job. We, there's no doubt in the ACC, and especially I've said this a thousand times, the ACC Atlantic, if you're going to be successful, you're going to have to have size. And if, if you're not getting size, you better get length. And those are the things that were really lacking when I first got here. When you looked around, our team would play hard, and we had as much fight as anybody. But when you started looking at our dogs compared to their dogs, we look like Chihuahuas, and they look like Great Danes. And we don't have to all have Great Danes, but we at least get to the German Shepherd size of, of some of these things. So we have an opportunity to not only block some of these people, but tackle them as well. Seems like you uh, were able to take care of your checklist, not only bigger and longer, 
but in terms of representing the, the state of New York. I know that was something that was a goal for you. Maybe not to force it if the players weren't there, but you bring in four New York State players, Kadir White, big offensive lineman from the Bronx, Trill Williams uh, from Yonkers, an outstandingly athletic defensive back. Gabe Haran's the local kid from Baldwinsville High School as the tight end. And then Andre Sisco, he played at IMG, but originally uh, from New York. Is that on par with what you hope to be the case for your recruiting classes going forward? Absolutely, man, absolutely. I really, what we want, and I've said this, what we want is we want young men from the state of New York in the dome playing on the football field where their moms, their dads, their aunts, their uncles, their high school teachers can come and support them in the dome and we can get that thing, get that loud house filled up and rocking and rolling. And I think it's, to me, it's a little bit of a misservice if you recruit someone and you really don't think that that person's ever going to be able to play for you. Just to say that you've got someone, a local guy uh, from the state, I, it, it, it just irks me the wrong way. So these young men that we went after, we feel like they have upside. We feel like they have an opportunity to get on that football field and help us win football games in the ACC Atlantic, which is going to give us representation in this state. So people turn on their TVs and they're looking at Syracuse. They're going to be able to see young men from the state of New York playing for their local university. Coach, let's switch gears here a little bit while we have you with uh, spring football about to get going. You also have reshaped your coaching staff. New legislation allows for a 10th assistant coach. You have added uh, Mike Cavanaugh, most uh, recently the offensive line coach at Nebraska, and then Kirk Martin, who uh, you have a personal connection with, but also an outstanding high school football coach from Manville, Texas. He comes in. What do they provide? Well, first of all, when you talk about uh, Cavanaugh, you're talking about someone that has so many years of Power 5 Division One experience, it's ridiculous. And he's always been able to do more with less. And that's the thing that's really excited, excited me about him is when you start researching what his offensive lines could do. Uh, when he was at Oregon State, I believe twice they upset USC when they were ranked number one, one time rushing for mucho yards against uh, the Trojans. And they're doing, he's doing it with Oregon State football players and that's not to put down that university but there's a big difference between Oregon State and USC and not only does he do it, does it once he does it twice when you look at his background with his NFL background he has an he also has an in-law that uh uh, that was in the NFL, was an offensive coordinator in the NFL for a long period of time. He has so much knowledge. He's got an encyclopedia of knowledge, and he's got a, a tough attitude that we want to get going uh, with that offensive line to get our run game going in the ACC. And I think he was a fantastic hire, and I think he's going to be someone that's going to be with us for a long period of time. Kirk Martin is going to be uh, working with our quarterbacks. Uh, I talked about this a little bit earlier in the press conference. Some people said, why him? Our quarterback position is really unique. And the first thing we start with is we want to get a man of fantastic cloth, somebody with great character. And we're a little bit different on offense than a lot of people, so we need to teach that person uh, the ins and outs of our offense. So it's not so much about how much knowledge you walk in the door with, but how much, how, what's your attitude about learning new things because we're going to put some new things on him that he's never seen before. And the very first time I ever hired for that position, I hired an offensive coordinator out of Temple High School in Texas. He had never been a Division One coach at all. And he worked with us for three years, and then after three years, he was the offensive coordinator at the University of Texas. The next young man that we moved to that position who was with us three years, uh, six years before he got here, was just a graduate assistant, and he had never played quarterback in college football. So we have the ability to take really, really fine men in that position if they have 
fantastic cloth, which Kirk does, and mold them into the, the type of quarterback coach that we want. Now, all that being said, Kirk is a fantastic coach. He is His accolades speaks for themselves. And, and what we're getting, instead of getting a piece of coal with maybe the two y- other young men, we're getting a diamond. And uh, we think with him coming in with that attitude that I talked about and, and allowing us to teach him what we do in our offense with our quarterbacks, I think we may have a quarterback coach that's not only is going to stay with us a long time, that's going to be able to really, really help this program in the future. Dino Babers, the uh, head coach of Syracuse football, and today sort of finalized the coaching staff shuffle. Remember that there's a 10th assistant coach that's new this year. So who left? Well, uh, Sean Lewis left to Kent to be the head coach. He was the co-offensive coordinator, so what are you going to do there? Mike Lynch, who had been the co-offensive coordinator and offensive line coach, is named the uh, offensive coordinator. They had brought in Mike Cavanaugh. His specialty is offensive line. He takes that position. Lynch, to have a position, is running backs coach, which had previously been occupied by Justin Lustig. He takes outside receivers. Kim McLeod, who had been the outside receivers coach, switches sides of the ball to go to cornerbacks, keeping the title of assistant head coach. Reno Faree, the tight ends coach, picks up inside receivers. Kirk Martin, who had been new, is the quarterback's coach. Nick Monroe now carries the title of safeties coach. And the uh, defensive line guys, Vince Reynolds, defensive tackles, and uh, Steve Stannard, uh, Stannard uh, defensive ends, that uh, remains unchanged. So that's uh, how that works. Brian Ward unchanged in his position, defensive coordinator and uh, linebackers coach. Some uh, shuffles related to the other coaches that have been uh, brought in here, Kavanaugh and Martin, the two new. So uh, not only one to replace the coach that left, but also a uh, a new coach. And in case, really, in the if you look at it in being Martin, the last man in the door, counting him as the 10th, and he's a dedicated quarterback's coach, as opposed to what they had before, Sean Lewis was uh, offensive coordinator slash quarterbacks coach. But I think they're uh, pretty happy with the class. You look at the distribution geographically, which is something I always find interesting. Four from New York, three from the District of Columbia, three from Florida, two from Texas, one apiece, Michigan, Mississippi, New Hampshire, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Washington State. Um, The Washington State, you know, put an asterisk on that. That's Lakeem Williams. Uh, he's a junior college guy. There's only so many places that have junior college football, and they needed uh, an older force to come in at linebacker because uh, everybody's new, really, at that position, losing three starters there. So uh, that one kind of a little bit of an anomaly, as is Mississippi. I, I couldn't tell you another. Uh, I'm not positive there has been another uh, Syracuse player from Mississippi, uh, but uh, this provides. Um, Another option at running back in the Orange, uh, clearly looking to uh, add some weight to that position and wide receivers. A number of them uh, brought in in this class, and we discussed those around Christmas, led by Ed Hendricks, who is from D.C. All right, more to come. We'll get with Joe when we continue. Talk basketball with Mike Waters over the course of the show. Over the course of today, we want you to listen to Brent Axe, as you do every day, 4 to 6 right here. He's got three pairs of tickets to give away to CNY Brewfest. This Saturday at New York State Fairgrounds, two sessions with live music and well over 100 breweries now and later, and Barkley Damon 
have teamed up to offer $10 off your lift ride to and from the festival. Visit cnybrewfest.com for more information. More to come as we continue in the booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse. Live from the dboffers.com, powered by Drivers Village Studio. This is ESPN Radio. 97.7 FM Syracuse. And 100.1 FM Oswego. Do we care? Interesting. I doubt it. No, wait, the other thing. Tedious. But we will do this segment anyway. Don't care anymore. Here's Joe Salzone. I don't care no more. Rob Gronkowski is planning for life after football. The Patriots tight end reportedly being encouraged to try his hand in Hollywood. Reports the actors Dwayne The Rock Johnson and Sylvester Stallone are trying to convince Gronkowski to get into the movie business. After losing the Super Bowl on Sunday, Gronkowski told reporters he would spend the next several weeks assessing his future. You're back-to-back days here leading off with Gronk stories, right? Or two, two out of back-to-back oh, yeah, shows, was, yeah. three days. Um, isn't it f- funny to think that these two guys, I mean, that, that's the role he would fill, right? The the Rock and Sly Stallone and just kind of the athletic, good-looking meathead role, and he, he could be the next in line, huh? The Rock says no, never, to scripts. He, that dude takes yeah, he does every a lot of movies. script. He makes a lot of money. Ferry to every other. I guess that Jumanji movie was pretty good, though. That's a, out now. Is that a remake of the Robin Williams one, or it's just, just a kind of a to sequel? It? It's hard to imagine Gronk in anything other than the character we know him to be. You know, the, I think he's got personality and stuff, but to have him assume, you know, could he do the, like the Liam Neeson type stuff and just be a <laughs> badass that runs around, you know, defending. Rescuing his children. Yeah, right. Rescuing his children and busting up uh, those types. It'd be interesting to see. It's uh, if we had really anybody in the fairly modern era that's been somebody you've known that well for being, let's say, in a different venue like sports. It's been a good act. You know, it's gone and pulled off the actor thing in the way where it used to be a little more commonplace, like Jim Brown and people like that. No, why well, it, 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 It's possible. He's got. Uh, He's done commercials, so he's he's somewhat experienced in front of a camera, but acting is, I would guess, a little different. A lot different. Yes. Uh, The Winter Olympics are underway now in South Korea, despite the opening ceremony not happening until tomorrow. Those watching on the live online stream have apparently fallen in love with the U.S. brother and sister team of Matt and Becca Hamilton in mixed doubles curling because Matt looks a little like Super Mario. Yeah, this is weak. Uh, Everybody's falling in love with a Russian chick that looks like Angelina Jolie. I was going to say, let's, let's, let's get that going. Uh, <laughs> he doesn't look that much like him. I saw the... I mean, I guess he died. He's just a, a dude with a red hat and a mustache. Um, I'm more... This is the first I'm aware of that mixed doubles curling was even a thing. I, I, I wasn't, uh, wasn't familiar with men and women on the same team, and in this case, uh, brother-sister, which has to have some weird dynamics. Um, I'm going to have you, if I, why can't I think of her name? I, I was into the uh, the captain of the Canadian team uh, last Olympics or the one before, uh, Cheryl somebody or other. That was really weak in my mind. I didn't really prepare that uh, particular segment of the show. We'll have to come back and see if we can find her. Anastasia Brislava is uh, good, the, Polly. Good contribution there. What, is what do you got? the Russian curler who is absolutely stunning. I don't know about that picture, dude. She 
she looks like uh, Angelina Jolie. She's she's dressed. That picture. She looks like Angelina Jolie without a haircut for three years and really angry at something. So when you you go you come up with a couple of good ones and we'll we'll uh, work on that during the break. I'm sure that's a scintillating radio. <laughs> what else do you have, Joe? All right, the 45. That, I mean, that's a lot of eyebrows to be calling Angelina she's Jolie. She's Russian. I understand, but that's she's that's pretty strong. That might be actually Angelina Jolie. She, no, that was her. Uh, okay, she was she's strong. I'm giving her cleans a, up nice. Is what you're two saying? Thumbs up. Yeah, when, when she's she get, not curling. <laughs> I was gonna say gets away from the rink, but that's not what it's called. The the Bond Spiegel. Sure. That's, I agree. <laughs> okay. And the 45-minute standoff between police and a tiger in Scotland ended after police realized that the tiger was, in fact, a stuffed animal. A farmer called police to say a tiger was crouched on his property. Several police vehicles arrived only to discover that it, uh, that it was simply a large stuffed toy. But police do not believe that it was a prank. Are toys made in the crouching position? How, how could that be mistaken? I guess the thought is, who wants to get that close to a tiger to see if it's real or not? How did someone think that there was a real tiger in Scotland <laughs> well, that was outside of a zoo? They, they, uh, one officer called the zoo. How stupid are these people that wind up in your stories? <laughs> and <laughs> pretty dumb, I guess. Second, if it wasn't a prank, someone's just going around putting stuffed animals <laughs> on farms. Come on. Yeah. My thought is, after forty-five minutes, you see the animal not moving, not moving its head, not moving a paw, not doing anything. You would think after, I would say, five minutes, huh? This seems odd. I would have just shot it, and when the fl- <laughs> yeah. fl- stuffing came out, Peter nope. can direct their uh, emails okay. to Pauly Sibilia. At, uh, yes. All right, Joe. Once again. Really, you, you really killed it there. Scintillating. It was, it was something. Dewey Care is brought to you by Cam's Pizzeria. Cam's love at first slice. That's three in a row. I made them. I had a hot week and trashing me. You're as hot as a Dewey. Russian curler. That's right. Well, <laughs> we'll just see about that. We'll we'll do a little internet research during the break and report on that. We'll get with Mike Waters when we come back as well in the booth on ESPN Syracuse. Great moments happen here. One and one, 8.8 to go in a tie game. First free throw, no. Jai Smith gets the rebound to Connor. Five on the clock. Connor, pull up, jumper from the baseline, no. Rebound, Smith puts it up. He's got it. That's it. Jai Smith wins it for London. Bringing you the sports everyone else is just talking about. Drivers Village High School Basketball Game of the Week on ESPN Radio Syracuse. This is In the Booth with Matt Park. In the Booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse. Time to visit with Mike Waters, our regular visit brought to you by Oswego County Mutual Insurance. And Michael, good to have you on. And just before, you can weigh in if you'd like, but just to follow up uh, because we hinted it through the break, Cheryl Bernard was the uh, comely Canadian curler that I was thinking of. And Polly still thinks his is better, but that's fine, and we'll get on and enjoy the Olympics peacefully. Well, thank okay. God you got that name. <laughs> you got, I mean, got that I, I don't think I would have been able to go to sleep tonight had I not known it was yeah. Bill Bernard. Well, it was it was hanging there, and as soon as we got to the commercial, it popped in my head. So uh, anybody that was t- <laughs> tuning in for curling intel, then uh, you know this this is the spot. I feel sorry for those people, but uh, we're off and Both running. Of them. Yes. Both of them listening, let alone the ones that uh, cared about curling. So we're we're off and running with the Olympics, and that's a, a topic for another time. As for uh, Syracuse basketball, your expertise over there at uh, Syracuse.com, it's uh, interesting to come upon this 
second longest stretch between games on the conference schedule. And it, there was just that eight day uh, period, and they go into both with wins. You know, which is kind of the I think the the way you want to do it, and uh, trying to get some momentum here built up for what's left. Yeah, and this is a team, as you know, without much depth, some guys logging some really big minutes, other guys uh, nursing some injuries. So to have a, a break between games, uh, you get to go into it on, off, off a win, which so everyone's feeling good about themselves. But uh, a nice long break, I, I think, can be beneficial for this team. Uh, you remember how sharp they were coming out of the last one. Uh, I think, you know, they played that great game against Boston College where everything was clicking on offense. So I think they're hoping to get right back there again on Sunday against Wake Forest. Your colleague Donna DeTota today uh, with a, a piece on Barama Sidibe's knee situation and uh, put out there kind of what we've been talking about, that surgery for him is uh, definitely being considered, if not likely. And they're in kind of a tough balancing game here with, with Barama where – uh, doesn't sound like he can get himself hurt anymore, but he's really not responding to treatment to this point. It's got to be aggravating um, and just frustrating uh, to, to, be, to see him go down to Pittsburgh and have that monster game where basically he saved their bacon with 18 points and 16 rebounds. And I know Pittsburgh is the last place team in the league, but still, <laughs> we're talking about a freshman who's hardly been able to get on the court who could go out there and on, and on a day when he's feeling good, put up a double-double like that, a monster one. And, and then uh, three days later, can't go again. And that's got to be frustrating. So I, I, I think it is getting to the point where you're almost as worried about Barama long-term as you are Barama short-term. And certainly they, in the short-term, they could use him because when you're only down to six healthy scholarship guys, and like we saw against Louisville the other night, when those fouls started to mount, and you just kind of like, you know, they need to slow down on the fouls so they're going to be in trouble. And luckily they, they kind of were able to. They, got, they stalled everybody out there at three or four until O'Shea fouled out late, but they had just enough guys. But um, having a Barama City would help so much, uh, especially as you get ready for this last stretch of six or seven regular season games. The trainer Brad Pike uh, is quoted extensively in, in Donna's piece and in my own talks with Brad, you, you get the sense that, uh, look, he, he's not going to hurt it further. Surgery is relatively routine, but they're balancing, hey, maybe maybe someday he does feel okay to play. And you, the thought mm-hmm. is that he's sort of being kept at bay in an emergency. You know, they're not going to do anything that's in the long-term detriment to him. If he needs surgery and he can't walk or can't function properly, they're going to have surgery end of season, period. But if it's just sort of a holding pattern – it's like, well, he's available in an emergency. Then when you think from the basketball or strategy tactic aspect of it, Mike, if four players in your front court all have – or three players all having four fouls, if that's not an emergency, what, what is it exactly that would ever get him into a game? Yeah, I'm not sure it's a, it's a case of he's available in, the, in case of emergency. You know, like they're all, I think it's, it depends on how he feels. Some, you know, he shows up at the arena and, and he's feeling good and, he, and he's jumping in warm-ups. Okay, Barama can go today. If he's not, if it's hurting him, if he can't even jump in warm-ups, like we saw at Louisville the other night, he was out on the floor. But when your 6'10 freshman center shooting threes, 
I don't. I didn't get the idea he was exactly preparing himself to play. So I kind of <laughs> you knew he wasn't going to go against Louisville. I I don't know if he was going to go at all. No, you know, I don't think he was. Coach, I, yeah, I think he was done. It wasn't oh, in case of emergency. It was like no, Barama's not feeling good tonight. He's not going. The only reason that left me any thought that maybe he'd be used in the game. We were told before the game he wasn't going to play, but then okay. when he was when he was warming up, I'm thinking, well, there. What is the purpose of this unless it's just gamesmanship? But the, as you pointed out, when you really think about it, he was walking. <laughs> you know what I mean? He, he, he was, it was nothing more than you know, maybe a little gallop and a dribble and a layup. And, and uh, so I don't, nothing he did there was, was uh, strenuous or actually warming up as if he were uh, getting ready to play in the game. So uh, that's a really unfortunate one. You know, when a, a guy leaves the program or, or those types of things, you know, that they're making a choice. Howard Washington is a player who, you know, has a significant injury that shuts down his season. It's a catastrophic one-time thing, and uh, yeah. he'll be on the mend and, and maybe even a, a redshirt year or whatever, if that comes to be, could benefit him in the long run. For Barama, he could help this team right now, and the, the whole middle ground of it, I'm sure, is frustrating for everybody involved and, and him first in line. Well, and when you think about it too, you, you got to hope that maybe this week helps him, because coming up you got Wake Forest on Sunday, and there's like Darrell Moore, um, you know, a big guy in the middle, seven foot, seven foot two, hurt SU a little bit in that game down at, at, at Wake Forest with eight points and, and nine big rebounds. To have another big guy to throw on the floor at him, and then uh, the, the game after that at, at North Carolina State coming in. Um, uh, they got Omer Yurtsevin in the middle, uh, the big kid Leonard Freeman, the other kid Abu. You know, they got some big guys, especially with Yurtsevin there. Again, if, if it's a day where Barama is feeling good enough, he's mobile enough to go out and defend Yurtsevin in the high post because Yurtsevin can step out and shoot. Uh, so, yeah, I'm looking at these next two games, even though they're not against the, you know, the, the nationally ranked you know, RPIs in the top 30 type of teams like North Carolina, Miami, Clemson, Duke. But you're still talking two pretty good teams with big guys that can hurt you. Just two minutes left with Mike Waters of Syracuse.com. And Mike, the resume watching obviously continues and intensifies. You look at the, the win at Louisville the other day, that was RPI number 43. Buffalo is still the best RPI win for Syracuse at uh, 28. Buffalo's really had a tremendous season atop the MAC. They still kind of, you know, you're used to in a lot of these years having top 10 wins. I guess those opportunities are still ahead, but uh, I think you'd feel a lot better with, with one of those. Got to have at least one more, maybe two. Uh, you never know what the other teams on the bubble are going to be doing because they get to play games as well. You know, you're, you're not playing on the in a, in a vacuum uh, on the bubble. So, uh, you know, they have to take care of their business at home. Uh, these next two games are vitally important. Um NC State is another bubble team. Syracuse gets a win uh, over them. It, it might not be a quadrant one win, but it's still going to be a win over a team fighting for a spot in the field. And I think so. It, it becomes important, and, and then and then you'll start getting into the real meat of those games that are going to be high quality wins if you can get them. You know, on the road at Miami, home against North Carolina, um, Clemson. I think at home. Know, I think, well, yeah, because Clemson's RPI is insanely high. So that's going to be a, 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 real, a chance at a real big, good win. Um, 
Odds are, though, when, when we're as firmly on the bubble, if that's the right way to phrase it, if you're as firmly on the bubble as Syracuse is right now, you, we're probably going to still be talking about where they are and what they have to do going into Brooklyn. You're 100% right, and we'll have uh, plenty of time to uh, kind of wring our hands uh, in advance of that. You know, Syracuse has been kept out of the tournament before in years where it had wins in the uh, top 25 of the RPI. So far, not yet, but maybe one to come. Michael, we got to turn you loose. We thank you uh, for your time today and enjoy the game tonight. Carolina Duke, round one of the season here tonight. Should be fun. It should be fun. Two shades of blue. Yep, looking forward to it. The uh, stat that's been thrown around a lot today, last 100 meetings between those two programs, each team has 150, and Duke has two more points in 100 meetings. Uh, impressive. So uh, Mike Waters, the Carolina alum, will have a vested interest in that one tonight. The rest of us will just be watching and uh, looking forward to it. We'll be out at uh, Shaughnessy's tonight. Alan Griffin filling in for Coach Beheim and the AmeriCube Jim Beheim Show. Hope you can come out and join us for that and get to meet Griff and talk ball. For uh, Joe Salzone, Polly Sibilia involved in the show today, we thank you for listening, and we'll be back tomorrow to talk lacrosse. This is In the Booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse.